Uh, he was asking me to uh, share with y'all uh, this morning. I was thinking, you know, it's a beautiful week. Sun was shining. Wonderful hours. I was having a, a great week and I was praying, God, you know, what do you want me to share? I was looking at the weather. Beautiful day outside. It's just going to have a picnic. And uh, the answer I came up with was, well, let's go study and see what the Bible has to say about hell. So I figured that lines up real well with this week. I don't know how I ended up there. <laughs> Without a doubt, I know I was actually, really was praying, seeking God, saying, you know, what? where do you want me to go to? Where can we share? What can we talk about that might uh, encourage us? What can we learn from? And it was about 2 o'clock in the morning in the middle of this week. I was just laying there wide awake, you know, thinking, and it just really impressed on me. The whole thought and the concept of hell. Um, Jesus is amazing. Christianity is amazing. Um, it's wonderful to come and worship every week and to, to take communion with one another every week, to, to read the Bible. And I think a lot of times we think about the greatness of heaven and God and where we're headed, and we tend to, besides we tend to not think about hell as much. We don't talk about it as much. Um, it's not a fun subject. It's kind of uh, depressing in a way. But it also makes the cross and makes Jesus seem that much greater when you really start to study it and think about it. So, um, there was, I was thinking about this, and there was a book out, and people have been talking about that movie, The Heaven is for Real. Have you heard about that? It's, don't go watch it. It's terrible. But um, made me think, you know, we need to put a book out, Hell is for Real. Somebody's probably already done that. But it is. You know, when we're down, uh, I know on Tuesdays, it's just, that's where we go every week, so I think about that a lot, is we have a group of guys we go down, and probably one of the number one things we talk about with people is not about, do you want to go to heaven? We ask them about, are you ready to go to hell? Are you prepared? Because that's where you're headed if you don't know Jesus. And uh, you'd be amazed at the responses you get from that. But I think it's a very effective tool to use in preparing somebody. Um, if you ever, I know that way of the master... Uh, evangelism training, a lot of times they talk about, they compare it, sharing the gospel to a doctor coming up to somebody that has a disease and saying, hey, I've got this cure for your disease. I've got, I, I got this cure. Can you, you want to take it? And the guy just kind of looks at you. It's like, well, not really. You know, I don't, I don't know you. I don't have a disease. I don't want to take something. I don't know what it's for. But if you go up to somebody and you say, listen, I see on your face these blemishes. I see these symptoms on your body. I see the, I've been watching you and you've got this deadly disease. I guarantee you. When, you. when you diagnose it that way and help them to see their disease, then all of a sudden you say, guess what? You're going to die very shortly. And, and it's going to be a terrible suffering death. But I've got a cure. All of a sudden that cure is valuable to them. Mm-hmm. I think understanding hell, thinking about it, not only on a personal standpoint, helps us to, a person become converted. It's one of the ways that they do that. But also when we're out talking to people. And it also, I think, encourages us to go out and share the gospel with people when we understand their final destiny. So I was going to go to a, uh, a very common uh, story about hell or a parable that Jesus used. And it's Luke chapter 16. And people discuss and argue whether or not this is an actual story or a parable. Either way, whatever you want to think on this, 
It's, uh, it is truth. Whether it's a parable, it's from Jesus and he's talking about truth, or whether it's a real story, I believe that this was a true story. That Jesus was relating this as a true story. It was in the midst of a lot of parables, but I really believe this is true. But either way that you want to think on it, it's Jesus saying, this is something that is real. So let's think about this. Luke chapter 16 is a story of two men. We all know about, about Lazarus and a rich man. If you go to verse 19 is where we'll start. I'm just going to read that. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in this and thy life receivest the good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. That, uh, that verse right there should really grip your heart. He's comforted, and thou art tormented. Beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one rose from the dead. You got these two guys in this story. He's comparing two different types of people. One was the rich man. And you look at him over here. Look at, look at verse 19. It says, He was clothed in purple, fine linen. He fared sumptuously. He went to the Golden Corral every day. He, he ate really well. He, had, he obviously lived in a home, right? Because it says Lazarus was outside his gate. And not only did he live in a home, he lived, I'm, I'm assuming if he ate well, had nice clothes, and had this gate on his home, it was a well-secured, it, it was probably a nicer home in the area. He was a rich man, right? So in all of his life, he had all these great things. And when I was thinking about him, I was reading this, this verse 19, just sitting there and thinking about, how can I best describe this man? It's probably one of these guys who just didn't really have any true worries in life. He thought, you know what, everything's pretty good. He laid down at night, said he fared sumptuously. You could just picture him sitting around the table, eating great meals, enjoying life, carrying on, laughing. My guess is he was probably a really nice guy. He probably, I mean, he had five brothers that were around. He, just, he wasn't 
You know, some doesn't say anything about him being this mean, hated man in town. He was just a rich man that ate well and probably had feasts. And he just enjoyed life. And then you got Lazarus, which is the, what is the, the opposite, really, or the antithesis of this man, which just says he was homeless, he was hungry, he was diseased, he was filthy, he was despised, he was, he was even desperate. You look at it and you see all these things. He didn't have a home, he lived on the street. He was asking for just the crumbs that fell down. He had sores, diseases that the dogs would come and lick. And it, you know, if you think about this, I was reading one commentary and, and um, heard it before. It says he was talking to who? He was talking to the Pharisees. And how did the Pharisees view Gentiles? What they call them? They called them dogs. Dogs were just despised, looked down on. So here's this man that had dogs, just despised animals, licking his wounds. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. Uh, have you ever seen somebody so diseased and distraught that dogs are just licking? I've seen that in Haiti. They were doing more than licking on this person. It was, it was bad. And people were just, it, it, it's so sad. You, can't, you sit there and you can't do anything about it. You think maybe this is just made up to make, you know, make a point. I've seen this before. How bad do you have to be where you just lay there and you can't even muster up the energy to chase the dogs away? from licking at your wounds. And he was desperate. He just laid outside this man's home. If just a crumb would fall. You know, I was thinking about how I could best describe him. Thinking, how, how would I sum up this man? It's a man that spent basically his entire life in constant suffering and tribulation. And just, it's just, somebody would probably look at him and say, you'd have been better. You'd never born. You know? from what he went through. I'm sure some people would look at that. So you got these two, you couldn't get any more opposite. But yet they, they were right next to each other. They were right outside his gate, both of them, together. In the same place, really, in God's eyes, having the same opportunity for the same eternal destiny. They have the same opportunity for the eternal destiny, but they don't end up in the same place. In verse 22 it says this, And it came to pass that the beggar died was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. It says in 23, and he was in hell. You know, when you compare these two guys, one had it all. He had life. It was, he, he had it. And he had no worries. The other one had nothing but worries and struggles. But what was the one thing they had in common? It was Hebrews chapter 9 say. It says, it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. You want a great evangelistic verse? That's a wonderful one. I told Pastor Lindsay, I think he shared with you all the other day. You don't share that with a police officer. <laughs> the one that's upset with you telling you to leave the property, don't turn around and say, Bible says you're going to die someday, because they don't like that at all. <laughs> they take that as a threat, and you get in trouble. But <laughs> in other, in other times, it's really a good verse, because it kind of clicks something in your brain and makes you realize, oh wow, I am, I am going to die. It's true. Uh, we get so caught up in your lives, going about our day-to-day business. Do you think this rich man sat around eating at his feast, enjoying his house, doing all his things, saying, man, I'm going to die someday. He probably didn't think much of it, did he? It was probably the last thing on his mind. How many times do you go and talk to somebody, you just start up a conversation, and you say, hey, do you ever think about, you know, you're going to die someday? 
you get a few different responses. Sometimes people will say, yeah, I think about that a lot. And it really bothers me. Another response is, no, I don't ever think about that. And usually when somebody tells me, no, I don't ever think about that, I'll say, it's because it scares you, doesn't it? And say, yeah, yeah, yeah. They know the reality of what's coming. Romans says what? That, that conscience and creation cry out to us of what's coming, what's coming for us, that God is real. We know what's coming. And so it causes us to say, you know, I don't want to think about what's coming. And so we just get carried away in our day-to-day life, and we forget that there's coming a day. The more of this white stuff that comes out of my face and my head, falls out of my head, the more I think about it, the closer it gets. I remember being 15, 16, 18. It didn't cross my mind a lot. I was invincible. I mean, I literally, I remember running down the tops of trains before. I could have died. But it didn't think about that. Why do you think, you know, boys are out there, you know, just doing crazy stuff? don't think about, I might die, right? But, it, but the older you get, the, the, the closer you get to it, the more you think about it. I think it's a really good thing we could do as parents and as friends with other people is to bring it up. Talk to people. It's not a morbid thing. It's, it's going to happen. We had two men here. They both were living within proximity to each other, had two different kinds of lives. And what was the one thing they had in, com- had in common? They died. It's, it's, it's going to happen. Uh, go to Luke. We're already in there in th- verse 13. When you die, there's something that, that separates everybody that has ever lived in this world and ever will live. Verse 24 says this, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able when once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door, and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Then you shall begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. Then shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. There's going to come a day when we're all going to die, right? And there's two kinds of people. There's those that God knows, that Jesus knows. They've been reconciled to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. But what's He going to say? In other, other Gospels He says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on in. And then there's going to be the other ones, like this rich man. This is a reality. And I think we, 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 we uh, shortchange ourselves by not thinking about it enough. If somebody is not covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, when they pass into eternity, it doesn't matter how good they've been or what they've done. When you pass into eternity, you're going to stand at the door and you're going to bang on that door and say, let me in, let me in, let me in. And you're going to see this feast in this wonderful place. And the door is going to be shut. And it doesn't matter after you take that last breath, how much you bang on that door. He's going to say, depart from me. I never know. He doesn't even just say, depart from me. I don't know you here. He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. 
He describes every person that does not have access to heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ as a worker of iniquity. If that doesn't kind of crush you a little bit, it doesn't matter how good you think you are. Even you younger people in here, if you haven't received Jesus Christ yet, Jesus Christ is going to look at you and He's going to say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. That's harsh to me. And you're not even thrown into hell yet. That's just the first thing, the entrance into, is the first thing you hear is your Savior, the one that died for you, say, depart from me, you worthless worker of iniquity. You're like, I I don't know you. Go. Your neighbors that don't know Jesus Christ, that's the words they're going to hear. That book that really messes up the doctrine of hell somewhat, but has some good things, is uh, the, the Divine Comedy. And, and he, Dante, he kind of imagines the gateway to heaven, or to hell. And it says, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Think about that. You hear these words, depart from me. And again, that's his imagination. But the next thing you do, all hope. You have no hope. You bang on the door. The only one that can let you in looks at you and says, Go. No hope. Just abandon it. Forget it. You're, you're, you're headed towards an eternity of hopelessness. That's hard. And that's just, we're just now heading to hell. We're not even there yet. And already I'm like, I want to quit. I'm done. You know, I don't, I don't want to talk about it anymore. But, the, but Jesus talks a lot about it. Look at verse 23 down through 26. Says this, and in hell, this is he where the rich man he lifted up his eyes, and he being in torments. I don't know what some of the other versions says. I read a few, but this one says torments. That means he's not just kind of bothered a little bit. There's a there's that's a plural word there. He's tormented with lots of torments. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in this lifetime receivest thy good things. Likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. I was thinking about two verses, James and Romans, when I read through that passage and this thought. At that moment, when he looks up in torment and sees Lazarus sitting, comforted, and he's in torment, that, that eternal state of where he is now resting, all of a sudden, makes his life and what he went through and what he did seem like, James says, a vapor. Now James says our life's a vapor. Imagine this rich man. You know, he probably planned. You don't get rich by accident. He planned. He worked at it. He probably talked to people and discussed things with individuals and and. and had conversations and really had a, a, a full life. 
He worked at it. And spent, there, it, was, it wasn't just quick. But now when he looks back, imagine him looking back over his life and it would just seem like that was all worthless. All those good things that I had, hell now makes seem rubbish, worthless. But on the same other side, I also thought about Romans. And Paul said this, he says, I compare all these present sufferings, all these things I'm going through, they can't be compared. They don't even come close to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen. You got the second person, Lazarus, that suffered. Think about all the stuff he went through. And now what's the, what's the word he uses for Lazarus? He's comforted. Lazarus is now comforted. He's sitting there, and, and you know, that he most likely he doesn't even remember the stuff he went through. There's such a comfort, such a peace, such a wonder that he says... Or Paul says it, it can't be compared. Not, don't even bother trying to compare the worst life I could possibly live to what I now have. Think about how much worse that's going to make hell. Remember those people banging on the door? Those people banging on that door realize that they are not going to get that comfort. They now have to live in a state of eternal punishment realizing That'll never be me. I'll never get that. And then, I think when we get to verse 24, you'll, you'll see this. That, that regret that happens, that, that realizing I'm never going to get out of this, it's so bad, causes him to make his first request. He makes, he makes two requests in his story, and the first one is this. He says, can you just send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and touch the tip of my tongue? That really seems kind of pointless to me, doesn't it? I mean, I've been really thirsty before, and I never thought about saying, you know, if I could just have a drop of water, I'd be happy. But I guess I was never really this tormented. I was never really this devoid of any relief and comfort that I would say. I would consider, please, just send this man and just dip his finger. Just a, just a drop of water. So how bad was that? Go to Revelation chapter 20. Let's just look at a few things of what the Bible... I think we know inherently just from being in church any amount of time what hell's like. But let's see what the Bible... I like reading scriptures and it, it kind of helps me to see. Revelations 20.15 says this. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire describes hell as a lake of fire. Anybody ever jumped in the water swimming in the middle of a lake? Okay. We picture hell a lot of times. You see even paintings of it. You see people standing kind of in the middle of all this fire, right? And you're just kind of consumed by it and it's over them. How many people have ever went swimming in a lake and just kind of stood in the middle of the lake? No. It engulfs you, doesn't it? You're up to your neck. You're... you're, you're covered in it. I think those pictures that show people just kind of, you know, hell's here and the flames are kind of lapping up around them, that's bad. But this calls it a lake of fire. Kind of picture that and say, wow, could you imagine just trying to tread fire? Like you're treading water. It's just engulfing you, surrounding you. There's no escape. It's touching every bit of your body. You ever jumped in a lake that's freezing cold and how that water's just every nerve in your body notices that cold water. Imagine 
every nerve in your body just like that with fire. That's hell. That's the torment this man was experiencing at that moment. Go to Matthew 13. Verse 41, down through 42, it says this. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. Is that word iniquity again? He, he likes to uh, use that to describe the people going to hell. How would you like to be described as a worker of iniquity? That... That word keeps jumping out of me every time I read this. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. He uses that fire again. about the, the, Now it's a furnace just, just surrounding them. And he says this. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. His place is going to be so bad. It talks about it in verses 49. In chapter 22, chapter 24, chapter 25, there are places all over the Bible where it describes hell as this place of weeping or wailing and gnashing of teeth. No comfort at all. None. No relief. It's just constant. It's not just a a, a, uh, struggling to endure. There's no more struggling to endure. It's, It's just, it's eternal. And so you're just sitting there weeping and crying and wailing and screaming and gnashing of teeth. I don't like to think about it, honestly. I keep saying it, but boy, it's, it's, it's hard when you think about it. The reason it's hard is because there are people there and there are people going there. And the, the real hard thing to think about is this. There's probably somebody in this room headed there to this place. We don't know. We don't even want to make a judgment of who that is. But there's most likely, by the, the odds, the way the Bible puts it, it says few will enter in, that somebody's going. That's scary. That's heavy. Go to Matthew 25. You're already over there. Switch over to Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. This one here, really, man. When I think about hell, we're already talking about how bad it is. It's, it's suffering and pain and weeping and fire. Chapter 25, verse 41 says, Then shall he say also unto them on his left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels place is so bad it was prepared for the devil. It wasn't even meant for us to go there. It's prepared for the devil. And it's, how long does it last? Everlasting? You ever think about that? There's a lot of false teaching going on where people are saying that hell is a, they call it annihilation. It, it, it comes to an end. That's false. There is no end to hell. Now think about that. It's, it's easy to say have you ever had something, you know, I guess childbirth is probably a really good example. It's something, a real struggle. It's painful, it's hard, it's, but you know there's an end to it. You can get through, right? When you know that you're coming to an end. You go in and, and maybe you've had something like 
a shot. Some people don't like shots. You know that shot's coming, but I can do it because I know there's an end. You run a marathon or you work, do something really hard, a hard work day. You, I, okay, this day is going to kill me. It's a hard day, but I can get through because at the end of the day I can go lay down. Imagine being in a place where this suffering, this, this terrible place, everywhere around you screaming and wheeling and grinding of teeth and fire and consuming you, and there's no hope of it ever coming to an end. Never. There's no hope of relief. There's no hope of any stop to it. You remember what I said, what Dante put on the entrance to hell? It's probably why he imagined that. Abandon hope. Don't even bring it in here because there is none. And if you do bring it in, it's going to be taken out of you really quickly. Everlasting. This is an important doctrine to get about hell. Hell does not end. Hell continues on. It goes on. And then when you think it's went on forever, it's going to continue on. That's scary. But I think that's what causes this guy to, re- to ask for this relief of the tip of it, on, on the, the water on the tip of his tongue. Because there was some little bit of hope that he had this. He said, it's everlasting. I cannot escape it. It's, it's terrible, it's horrible, but maybe somebody can come to me and offer me a little bit of relief. He had this hope that somebody could bring him relief, maybe. Well, verse 26. This last little bit of hope that this guy might have had was crushed. Imagine you're sitting in hell, you're under torment, you're being destroyed, you know it's going to go on forever, and you say, I got an idea. Could you just send somebody to give me a little bit of relief, just a little comfort, please? And he says uh, in verse 26, there's a great gulf or chasm, somebody at some places say, fixed so that nobody can come from us to you and nobody can come from you to us. There's probably one of the worst gut punches this guy's ever gotten in his life, right? Just, I mean, right to the gut. Come on, just send somebody, please. And he says, nobody's ever going to come give you any relief of any sort ever. We can't even if we wanted to. You're stuck. And this is the thought. You're stuck by yourself. You're suffering through that. We were talking about, can you get through suffering if you know there's an end to it? What about this? Anybody ever been through a really hard day? Or had a tough thing? You struggle? You know you're going through something that's not good? And you say, you know... I got a friend, I got a mom, I got a dad, I got a friend or a family or a wife or a husband, somebody that will just hold my hand and be there with me and go through it with me. When you go to hell, you're going to be there by yourself. No mom, no dad, no grandma, grandpa, no friends, no brothers, sisters, wives, husbands. You're going to endure this torment on your own for eternity. That's a weighty thing to think about. There will be nobody come to your rescue. There will be nobody come to your relief. No, they won't even be able to come and whisper, it's going to be okay. It's just alone torment under the wrath of God. Well, he finally, I think, hits the point where he's just in utter despair. He had a little bit of hope. And verse 27 says this. He says, Alright, 
No hope for me. None. But can you please, says I pray, send somebody to my father's house. For I've got five brothers. And send them there to testify to them. Lest they also come into this place of torment. Please, 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 if you can do one thing for me. I know that there's people behind. Just, I can't leave. I can't be relieved of any suffering. Send somebody else to go warn my family. Because they are on their way here to join me. I know them. I lived with them. I was them. And they're coming. Please, at least send Lazarus to go tell them. Could you do that, please? Because they would listen. They know Lazarus, right? If Lazarus come back from the dead, they're going to say, Wow, this man came back from the dead and he's warning us? We got we to gotta not go there. We got to listen to him. What was the response here? It says, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They've got the word of God. They've got all they need to escape hell and to receive the reward of heaven. Right here. I kind of wrote down their, their, their discussion. And I made up my own screenplay. I was picturing this rich man. It's already written down there. But he's just saying, I beg you, please go send somebody to my five brothers. And Abraham says, no, they've got the word to warn them. He says, no, you don't understand. He says, nay in here. No, listen, you don't get it. Somebody must go. This place is so bad. Please send somebody. And he says, listen, if they won't hear the word, there's nothing going to convince them. They're coming to join you. They have the word. So what's going to rescue people from hell? What's going to rescue you? What's going to rescue those you love and know? What's going to rescue any of us from hell? The blood of Jesus saves us, right? It's our propitiation. It covers us. But how do we get to the point where we put our faith in Jesus Christ? Where we repent? Where does that come from? Go to Romans. I mean, he gives us the answer right there. And you all know what Romans chapter 10, chapter 10 says. Verse 14. Then verse 14 says this. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. They have the word. And you know what else is really amazing? So do we. Every person in this room knows somebody, is somebody, or has a family member, or is in very close proximity to somebody that is going to go experience this torment. Everybody. There's not a person in here that can say every person I run into is on their way to heaven is going to escape this torment. You can't say it. It's impossible. So what's the answer? The Word. Study this Word and go teach it. Preach it. Share it. Take it to people. Take the Word. I was thinking about the the song, The Wonderful Words of Life. 
It's a wonderful old hymn. Take those words that you have been given, the ones you know. If you've escaped hell, go tell somebody else how to escape hell. Do you realize how bad it is? We just spent a little bit of time looking at how bad hell is. And it is real. It's not make-believe. It's not a story. It's not paintings and drawings. There are people there right now suffering just like Abraham was. And guess what? Abraham's still there suffering. Or not Abraham, I'm sorry, the rich man. The rich man is still there right now suffering. And how long is he going to be suffering? For eternity. And there's people we're going to come in contact with today. Guarantee you there's people we're going to come in contact with today that are, out, that are on their way. They're going to take their last breath. Maybe today. And they're going to enter in and they're going to experience an eternal torment that is beyond understanding. That's a big deal. And we have been granted this ministry of reconciliation that we can go out and we can take the Word of God. It's powerful. Romans 1.16. What's it say? It's the power of God that you can be saved. It's the power of God for a person that can be saved and, and escape hell. So I ask ourselves, there was a guy, man, it was a few years ago when that Rob Bell put that book out about love wins or whatever, and they were, I think that was the one where everybody was all discussing hell. And I can't remember the preacher's name, but he did a video talking about that. And he said, you know, we're all critiquing this Rob Bell guy because he's saying, you know, oh, hell's not really real, and everybody gets escapes it, and God wins and all that. And he says, I think we've all missed the point. We're busy arguing that this guy is wrong and that hell is real. But none of us are going and telling anybody that hell is real. And sharing with them how they can escape it. If you truly believe hell is real, what are you doing about it? How, how bad do we hate somebody to withhold from them the escape route? How bad do I have to hate somebody? I, I say this knowing full well that I, I sat last night going over this message again and I was asking God for forgiveness because this week there was a man that, that I talked to and I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him and I didn't. And that was a thought that I had was how bad do I have to hate this man that I didn't take the opportunity to share the gospel with him? I must just despise him. I'm saying, you know what? You're on your way to hell, and I could care less. That's terrible. How dare I have the ability, have the words, have, have all this information, this, this great thing, and I say, I'm not going to tell you. That's terrible. And the other one is, like the rich man, how arrogant do we have to be? To spend all of our life enjoying life, enjoying the things we have, and all the while, be bound for hell. If you're that person, if you've never repented, and I, I don't know. I, I hope every person in here has done that. Every 
mom and dad, every boy and girl, I, pr- I pray you have. But if you haven't, how arrogant to look at God and say, I'm going to escape. I'm going to make it out. You're not. If you haven't repented and put your faith in Christ alone, you're going to bang on that door and He's going to say, you're a worker of iniquity. Leave and go to hell and enter into an eternal, everlasting torment. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 and 9, it says this, He will give trouble to those who trouble you, and He will give rest to you who are troubled. And to us also, when the Lord Jesus appears with burning fire from heaven, with His powerful angels, then He will punish those who do not know God, and do not obey and do not obey the good news about our Lord Jesus Christ. Those people will be punished with a destruction that continues forever. They will be kept away from the Lord and from His great power. We'll read that one more time and think about hell and what's bound for these people, what's in, in store for these people, and think about: Am I that person on my way there, or is there somebody that I know? He will give trouble to those who will trouble you. He will give rest to you who are troubled and to us also when the Lord Jesus appears with burning fire from heaven with His powerful angels. Then He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the good news about our Lord Jesus Christ. Those people will be punished with a destruction that continues forever. They will be kept away from the Lord and from His great power. Father, I pray that the reality of hell would weigh so heavy on us that we would disregard any excuse that would ever come up to cause us not to share these wonderful words of life with, with somebody. God, forgive us when we allow our pride, our fear of rejection, our lack of knowledge, our insecurity, our quietness, our shyness, whatever it is, Lord, our busyness, our fear of losing income. God, there's millions of things that cause us to withhold these words of life from people that are bound for hell. Forgive us for that. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to take this clear understanding of what the Bible says about their final destiny and that it would haunt us. I pray when we look at somebody in the eyes and they can't give us a clear explanation of the gospel, that we'd be reminded they're on their way to an eternal torment. I pray that you would haunt us with that, Lord. Don't allow us to go one moment without that in our minds. Lord, we've received our reward. We've been given eternal life. We have it. It's not something we're going to receive. We've received it. We need nothing more in this life. Help us, Lord, to give all. 
that others might escape that wrath that is to come. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.